Well, it was uh, quite a number of years ago that uh, Lisa and I had uh, an opportunity, actually, to, to buy something that we otherwise probably wouldn't have bought, but it was uh, offered to us at such a price that we actually couldn't refuse, and that was buying a hot tub. And so uh, we got this thing, and, and we thoroughly enjoyed the warmth of the water and the wonderful conversations that we had in that setting uh, for a number of years. That was when we were in Calgary at that time. And we loved it so much that even when we moved here to Saskatoon, we went through all of the painful things that it took to actually move the beast here and set it up here, and we enjoyed it for many more years. Uh, but then I remember a number of years ago, we started to have some problems with it. And the heat unit of whatever nature started to malfunction once in a while. And it would actually heat up the water so hot that it was almost like it was boiling. Uh, It was quite bad. And it would have to reset things. And I didn't know what was going on. And I remember one day, and it was in spring, I went outside and I noticed that it was empty. It was totally drained. And I thought uh, Lisa had done that because she was outside cleaning and doing some spring cleaning stuff. And she said no, she hadn't touched it. And then I thought, that's strange, and I tried to fill it again, and I just noticed that the water just did not stay in it, and it just kind of seeped out. And then I went closer, and I, and I couldn't see any leaks, really, but then I went closer, and I looked uh, really closely at it, and I noticed that there were, like, thousands of fractures, like the whole thing had been sort of shattered, and obviously through the night, it had overheated once again, and something really bad had happened, and it had just sort of fractured. Well, that was the end of our warm nights under starry skies with great conversations, and we were sad, as this thing no longer could serve the purpose for which it was intended. And as I was thinking about this series, that silly and simple story came to my mind as I thought about some of the applications for our lives. And I thought, you know, sometimes there are some parallels to that. Sometimes... There are fractures and fragmentation in our lives that are not really apparent or obvious at first glance or from a distance. But then you kind of come closer and you look a little bit more intently and you realize that there are some fractures that are there that come from a whole variety of different things and different reasons. I think we all go through seasons like that. Some of you are in seasons like that right now. Times when we feel empty, drained, disconnected, fractured, fragmented, whatever the case may be. Not exactly sure what totally caused it, maybe. Sometimes it's not one specific event. Sometimes it's just a whole series of things over a long period of time that just slowly start to cause tiny fractures. But then it leaves us kind of longing, doesn't it? It leaves us longing to be whole, to be complete. To have our soul restored and to kind of gather together these fragmented things in our lives and to feel different than we do when we're in those seasons. Sometimes it's not just about stopping everything. And as we talk about the Sabbath, we realize that it's not just about stopping work or being lazy or whatever the case may be. But in fact, it can be about working really hard and going at life very passionately with the passions that God has given us, but having a rhythm, a regular kind of rhythm of things that gives us renewal and restoration. And that's some of what we want to be talking about uh, in these weeks ahead. And so as I was thinking about this image of fracturing, you know, you can kind of think, well, what if, 
what if God had sort of given us an antidote to that? What if God had given us something that would help us in that? Where we could commune with him and commune with each other and uh, work on our relationships with God and with the people around us that we love. And then you kind of go, oh yeah, God did put something in place. There was something that God spoke about so long ago that he intended for that. This ancient idea given by God of the Sabbath and what that was intended for that could heal our lives and our relationship with him and with others. It's been said that uh, abandoning the Sabbath has, uh, could maybe be pointed to as one of the greatest uh, causes of premature death in our modern era. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true, but I would at least argue that the breaking of the Sabbath or abandoning this idea of Sabbath rhythms is definitely something that is a major issue for us today. And I think has significant implications for us as individuals, for the effectiveness and health of the church, and even for our impact in the places that we live and the people that we interact with. Mark Buchanan is a pastor and an author, and he wrote a book a number, of, or a number of years ago, and it was one that was given to me by someone, and I don't even remember right now who gave it to me, but it was many years ago I was given this book, and ironically, I, I put it on the shelf and never got to it and never read it because I was probably too busy to get to it, and the book is called The Rest of God, How to Restore Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. And in the last year and a bit, I have rediscovered that book and uh, poured through it, and it has been impactful for me and part of some of the things that I'll share with you uh, in our time together. But Mark Buchanan in that book, he, he talks about what it means to remember, to remember something. If you think about being part of a committee, you're a member of a committee, or you're part of a team, you're a member of a team, or you're a member of a family. I mean, we know what it means to be a member, a part of, and his, his idea in this book, in part, is that to remember something is to put together pieces that have been broken. To recreate wholeness, again, out of what has become scattered fragments. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, and we, we will in just a few minutes in Exodus chapter 20, where it lists these commandments that God gives the people of Israel about how they are to live. The fourth of those commandments is this commandment about the Sabbath. And it's presented in a very different way than all the other commandments. So many of the other commandments, most of the other commandments, all begin with this idea of you must not. It's like, here's what you must not do. Don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't steal your neighbor's wife, all these kinds of things. It says, you must not do these things. But then when it comes to the fourth one, it's a different kind of language. It doesn't say you must not. It says, remember. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so again, this idea of what it means to remember and to remember, oh yeah, there is this, this thing, this ancient idea that God has given us to make our lives whole again, to make our relationships with him and with others whole again. And so you see, the work of the Sabbath, if we can say that, it actually works on us, is to remember the Sabbath again and to remember our lives in the places where they have become fragmented and where there are those tiny fractures that we can't see, and maybe nobody really notices from a distance, but they're there. And it starts to seep out of the things that give us life, and our soul is left feeling very empty. My guess is, is that as you are here this morning, you probably have 
maybe one of two perspectives when it comes to the Sabbath. And, and I'm sure there are more, but there are probably two dominant perspectives that I would guess would be here in this room as we come to this topic. Number one, you've probably had some experience with the Sabbath. Maybe it's quite an extensive experience growing up, maybe in a, a family that was going to church and that regularly attended, and you have some memory of that as a part of your religious experience. But maybe it was one that was way more about rules than it was about relationship. Maybe it was way more about some of those other Ten Commandments and how they started about you must not. And so the Sabbath for you was more about Sabbath keeping, rule keeping, and all the things that you must not do, as opposed to some of the other things that maybe it was intended for. Good attempts, but legalistic attempts of kind of getting at what God had intended at the beginning. So that might be part of your experience. For others of you, I would guess that, especially if you have not grown up in a family that attended church, maybe you're very new to faith or still exploring what it means to have faith, that maybe you have really not experienced any expression of the Sabbath. And even for those who have grown up in the church, it could also be true that you've really not had any really tangible expression of the Sabbath in your life, that you have just lived life in this 24-7 world, you just go, 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 and you don't stop, and you keep on going, and that's sort of been your experience. And maybe the only thing that comes close to Sabbath is getting an occasional snow day once in a while when, you know, the weather is bad in winter and everybody gets socked in and you can't go to school or work, and suddenly you get this free gift that you just have a day where you're at home and you have nothing to do. And it's like, this is cool. And then you kind of do a variety of different things. Maybe that's sort of been the only expression that you have experienced. But my hope and my prayer as we step into this topic for the next number of weeks is that regardless of what your experience has been or lack of experience in this area, or even if you are one who feels like you have found some rhythms of Sabbath that have worked for you, which is wonderful, my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would experience more of what God intended in this gift that he has given us, and that we would experience a fuller expression of what that might look like and feel like for us, that we would discover some of that together. We want to begin the series uh, today in a text that actually doesn't teach about the Sabbath specifically, and it's found in John chapter 5. And I'd encourage you to uh, turn there. But it's, it's really a text, rather, that, rather than teaching on the Sabbath, it's a text that describes an interaction with Jesus of what, typically Jesus often did on the Sabbath. So it's a text that happens on the Sabbath and a story that occurs there. And it's so similar to, to what Jesus so often did in a typical encounter uh, with, with Jesus. He, he often healed people. There's at least seven recorded stories of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. This is one of those. And so he would be in the business and in the work of restoring people, of, of restoring what has been fragmented and, and make them whole again. That's what Jesus loved to do on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of those days, they hated him for it because they were rule keepers. And you don't do that on the Sabbath. Their Sabbath was all about you must not. And so Jesus broke those rules and he brought the Sabbath to its original intention. And as we'll see, he really brought it to fulfillment in so many ways. And in this account, it's this story of this man who has been lame for 38 years. I mean, imagine that, who for 38 years had gone to this certain pool to become healed in the the ways that people understood what would happen in this specific pool that we'll look at in the text. And Jesus, at the end of this, asks this very unique question. 
And he says to this man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? So let's read John chapter 5. It says, Sometimes later, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question. And he said, do you want to get well? It's interesting. The man doesn't answer yes or no, which you would think would be a good answer and would probably be like, kind of like a duh question. Well, yeah. But no, rather the man answers from what was more of a human point of view and what he understood were, was to happen in there because in this place, the water would bubble up. It was probably a spring of some kind and every once in a while the water would bubble up and their understanding was is that whoever was able to get into the water first would be healed. And so his response is different. He says, well, no, I've been... I have no one around to help me to get in the pool when the water bubbles and when it's stirred. And so while I'm trying to get in, somebody else gets in ahead of me. And so I can't. He kind of misses the point. But Jesus didn't ask him, do you want to help me? Do you want me to help you get into the pool? That's not what he asked him. He asked him, do you want to get well? Which had a way broader, deeper meaning than what this man understood, I think, at the time. It's a question that I think is an important one for us to reflect on and think about deeply, especially as we enter into this series. And it's really the question that I want us to focus on today. For each of us, of this question, as we think about the Sabbath, do you want to get well? And in what ways do we need to get well? We often don't see our own fractures. We often don't see the things that are sort of broken within us. Uh, Oftentimes, other people can see them easier than we can, but they are there in our lives, and they come out in in subtle ways, don't they? In our attitude, in our responses, in our various relationships, these slow, subtle fractures that have emerged in our lives from a whole variety of different things that are there that others might see a little bit more easily than we can, but they're there. We don't always see them ourselves. But think for a minute about the typical response to this common question You were probably asked this question already a number of times today. You probably asked this question a number of times already today. And the question is this, is how are you doing? Hi there, so-and-so, how are you doing? We ask that question as part of our greeting. And what so often people will respond to is they'll say, well, you know what, I'm, yeah, I'm busy. Like, I'm so busy. You know, it's a very common response, right? And uh, it's one that has culturally come to be very acceptable, Because we often, and and you know what, it's true. It's not like it's untrue, but that is often how we respond. But even with that response, I want us to think about Jesus' question. So do you want to get well? Or if we're more honest, let's say we are really brutally honest in how we were to answer that question when somebody says, so how are you doing? We might answer it a little bit differently. We might say things like, you know what? I'm so connected electronically, it's unreal. Like I've got hundreds of friends online, but yet I've never felt so alone. And Jesus, we can hear him asking, so do you want to get well? Or we might say, I am so stressed. There is so much pressure at school, and I just can't possibly accomplish all the assignments that are given to me, and I just got way too much going on in my life. And we hear Jesus asking, 
So do you want to get well? Or you might say, you know what, I feel like my life is falling apart. I'm, uh, you know, coming apart at the seams. I can't seem to get myself together or whatever expression you use for whatever reason you say that. And we hear Jesus asking, so do you want to get well? Or you might say in your real honest moments, you know, my, my marriage is not doing well. We've been so consumed with life and work and raising kids and now we're at a different stage and we've just kind of drifted apart. And it's hard. And you hear Jesus asking, so do you want to get well? I wonder why Jesus asked this question of this man. Maybe it was because of his sickness. Maybe it was because his sickness actually had become something that was comfortable to him. I wonder. Maybe it was something that actually had become so familiar and so uh, it wasn't new anymore. And And he had all his patterns down. He knew what he did day after day. It was familiar and it was something he didn't have to think about a lot and it actually became his identity his sickness his unwellness became actually in some strange way his security it's what he did it's who he was this man would have had daily routines for 38 years it was all he knew it was familiar no he couldn't dance he couldn't work he couldn't walk he couldn't even have a family, but he also didn't have any responsibilities. He had no obligations. He lived a life free of obligations. Nobody expected anything of him. Getting well, after all, comes with a cost because it comes with expectations, responsibilities, and different things. You know, the funny thing about restoration, the the funny thing about having these fractures restored and made whole in us is that they can also come at a cost. And restoration doesn't need doing. You think about a building and a building that really needs to be restored and the paint is faded and the windows are broken and the railings are kind of broken as well too and doors are hanging a little bit off kilter and you don't have to restore it. In fact, oftentimes you... Look at it long enough, you look past it, you don't even notice it anymore. You don't have to address the restoration issue. Same thing in our lives. There might be fractures and fragments in our lives and things that are broken and ways that we respond to people, ways that we interact, things that we do, patterns that have been instilled and entrenched for so long and they just sort of become comfortable. You don't have to restore them. You just learn to adapt. We're very adaptable people. And so we can do that. Maybe we just have given up expecting much more. So some things become, have been so broken for so long in our lives that they just become familiar. And in some ways they become comfortable. And maybe we can't even imagine life without it. So what does our sickness look like? I think is one of the questions that we have to be asking as we enter into this series. And it can have so many different expressions, and we've talked about a few, but maybe it's that we like to control everything. And maybe we're good as long as everything is in control, and we're one of those people who just likes to make sure that everything is controlled. And it spreads slowly throughout our lives and into the lives of other people, and, and we don't really see it, but everybody else around us feels it all the time. Or maybe it's playing the victim. And maybe we've played the victim for so long that it starts, too, to feel really comfortable because 
when you're the victim, it's always somebody else's fault, so you don't have to take responsibility for anything. And maybe that has become the sickness that we don't see that has caused fractures in our lives. Maybe it's even a legitimate wound. Maybe it's something that you had nothing to do with. That is nothing of any choice of your own. And so it's a very legitimate wound. There is injustice. There is hurt. There is grieving. But I think maybe those things too can become something that now define us. And in some twisted way can, if we allow it, can become our idol. And again, can replace God and sort of become the center of our life. It's this woundedness, wherever it's come from. As I mentioned earlier, even just the busyness of our lives can be that. Someone once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Because either way, the soul will shrivel. I think there is some truth to that. And maybe we've bought the lie that if we are, you know, busy, that if we have busyness and, and sort of clutter in our lives, that it makes us important and It gives us purpose because we always have somewhere to go, something to do. And so that busyness sort of becomes the thing that is causing fragments. And maybe we secretly fear that, you know what, if we stop being excessively busy, that maybe our lives will cease to matter. Maybe our our sickness is being overly connected, as I alluded to earlier. And we know that. The struggles of our technology, and, and trust me, this is not an issue just for young people in our congregation. I think parents have more problem with this than kids. But it's this connectedness of being on phones or connected to internet or whatever, and you can be grandparents and struggle with this, but how is it that we live lives that are so connected and yet we don't feel like we make connection with people in the same way that we used to? How do we learn to do that differently? I remember about 20 years ago, when I was doing my graduate studies, and it was when emails were just starting to come out. And I remember sending my first email, thinking, that's kind of cool. And then I remember thinking, I don't think I'll use that a whole lot. I don't know. It's changed, hasn't it? Now email is so passive, and it's so slow that it's like, you know what? You get on with something else. I mean, emails, on average, it takes a person about 90 minutes, or sorry, yeah, about 90 minutes to respond to an email. Texting, the average response time, 90 seconds. That's why people text. We want response. We want to be connected. But it causes also something when it's excessive to drain us and to lose an ability to actually relate to one another in different ways. Maybe it's just our sickness is just too much of everything. You feel that way sometimes? I feel that way sometimes. We just have too much of everything, too much news, too much information, Too much media, too much entertainment, too many toys, too many things to do, too many choices. There's just so much in front of us all the time that it just feels like too much of everything, and that's part of our sickness. God knew that this season of life, this time in history, was going to have all of this in front of us. Like you would think, like, wouldn't he, why wouldn't he give us something for it? Why wouldn't he give us an antidote? Why wouldn't he help us understand how to live in this? And then you go, oh yeah, I think he did. I think that there was something back there that, that maybe there was a plan, an intention of how we can break free from some of these things and actually recognize our need for God and our relationship with him as a priority and also to really have deep relationships with others. I want to just briefly 
touch on a few of the Old Testament texts that introduce us to this idea of Sabbath. And you can turn right back to Genesis chapter 2. And right after the creation story, or right in the middle of the creation story, actually, is this text where it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 2 and 3. It says, but on the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So right here in the creation story, we have this account of God himself, who created everything, who does not tire, who does not have to rest his weary body, because he does not have a weary body, but who chooses to rest and enjoy the creation in front of him. And it's interesting, because when you look at the accounts of the things that he created, the birds of the the air and the fish in the sea and all of the plants and animals and everything that he created, it says that, and it was good. And then it says that when he created man and woman in his own image, he said it was very good. And then it says on the seventh day when he rested, that he blessed this day and he made it holy. You kind of wonder, it seemed like it was almost even better. It was just to rest in this uh, relationship that is there and that is found in God. You turn over in Exodus chapter 16, and we won't look at that story today, but I just reference it to give you another place that you can look at later. In Exodus 15, we see the first account since that creation story of where the people of Israel are in the, in the desert, and they're wandering, and they're complaining about not having food, and God provides the quail and the manna, if you remember, and the manna is there every day. But the instructions given to them is that you collect all that you need the night before, and it's for the next day. But on the sixth day, you collect twice as much because... There won't be any on the seventh day. The seventh day is a day of rest set aside for God to be holy. And it's this acknowledgement that God is faithful and he will provide for you. So we see that in Exodus chapter 16. Then if you look in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, as I referenced earlier in in verse 8 to 11, where we see this fourth commandment, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You flip over again to Exodus chapter 31, you see... Another text in that one, again, I encourage you to look at that later, Exodus 31, where it says how this was a covenant between God and his people. And it says that this is an everlasting covenant that will not cease. This idea of the Sabbath and this time that is set apart to enjoy creation, to enjoy our relationship, our communion with God, our communion with others. This amazing gift that we were given. And then you flip over to the New Testament. Look at Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, we... See this text where Jesus is teaching about the Sabbath. And he says this. He says, the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, the the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people meeting the requirements of the Sabbath. And so in the New Testament, we see this new freedom and this new grace that is extended. And Jesus sort of upsets the apple cart. And we're going to look at more of this next week where, where we look at more specific application of this. But, but where Jesus sort of changes everything and he brings to fulfillment this Sabbath principle, even in just who he is. So you might be fairly asking that question. Okay, so Bruce, so what? How do we live? 
What is it that we need to do now? Give us some handles, some tangible ways of what we do. And what you want is you want a list of regulations. Is what our heart longs for is black and white because legalism actually is, we like it because it's so simple and it's mindless. You don't have to wrestle through things. You just are told what you can do and what you can't do, which is why people gravitate towards that. And intentionally, I'm not going there this morning. We will go there next week talking about real specifics about how do we do this. But you might be asking those fair questions. So how do we live this out? What are the practical tools that we do? How do we live this out if we're doing shift work? We're caring for elderly people or disabled child. How do we do this as a family, you know, with young kids chasing after them all day? How do we do this when we're running our own business? Or how do we do this when we're retired? What does this look like? What is Sabbath in modern times? Next week, we will dive into these specifics. And I would encourage you, even this week, and you have an opportunity to to just even send some questions that I would encourage you to do and text some questions about what is it that you want to talk about? What are the Sabbath questions that you have? But for today, I want us to wrestle with this critical question of do you want to get well? To understand and to start look inwardly of seeing what are the fragments in our lives? What are the things that we need to see that God wants us to see that is not whole? Because unless we start there, unless we deal with this issue that Jesus asked this man at this pool What will quickly happen is we'll just have another layer of legalism of real practical things, but it just becomes this layer of legalism again over an already fragmented life. So we have to assess what's the course correction? What's the the wellness that is needed? What's the sickness that has to be addressed? Is it a two-degree kind of change or is it a 180-degree turn? And repentance is referred to as a 180-degree turn in another direction. And Jesus addresses that with that man because later on he comes and he sees this man and he says, you know what, you also need, I see that you are well, he says, but he says you need to stop sinning or things will also get worse for you. So there needs to be repentance even in that man's life of the sin that is in our lives that we have to get well from as well as the practices and the busyness and the things that fragment us in so many different ways. Mark Buchanan in his book, he says, Sabbath is Imitating God so that we stop trying to be God. It's that principle of of, of imitating God and following the pattern that God set that he didn't need to set because of who he is, but he did. So that we stop trying to actually be God and think that we have to take care of everything, that we're in charge, we're in control, but it's acknowledging that God is the one who is in control. So the starting point of Sabbath is awareness. Awareness of who God is and awareness of the sickness and the the need for wholeness that every one of us has. And to ask that question, where is it that we need to get well? What does that look like? Lastly, I want to leave you with this well-known passage in Matthew 11. And right before Jesus teaches specifically on the Sabbath, he says this phrase. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is the Jesus who invites us to know him. To enter into God's rest in a whole different way. But it begins by this awareness of who God is and the place that needs wholeness and healing in our lives. Where do we need to be restored? Where do we need to receive 
God's grace. And the gospel story reminds us and, and tells us that that's, that that's grace can never be earned. It is a free gift. I think in so many ways the Sabbath reflects that in the gift that God has given us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, these texts. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us and lead us to understand them, to delve into your original intent, and then also in the weeks ahead as we wrestle with, so what does it mean for us right now? How do we live in a rhythm of Sabbath that makes sense, that is renewing, that is restoring, that makes us whole again? And Lord Jesus, that we would first and foremost seek you, that we would see you as the fulfillment of this Sabbath promise, but that there is this invitation to enter rest and to give our burdens to you, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to see what we need to see in our lives of where we need wholeness and restoration. And then, God, give us the courage to do the work. Or maybe better said, give us the courage to allow you to do the work in our lives. To make whole those things that have become fragmented and broken. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.